The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Save big money on your outdoor project. Now at Menards, we have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth. So you can keep that lawn in tip top shape or enjoy some time on your boat right now. All FVP lawn and garden and Marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. So I talk a lot about how much therapy saved my life and how lucky I am to have my amazing therapist, Dr. Nay. But not everybody can get an appointment with Dr. Nay. And I really wanted to break the stigma on getting help or asking for help. So that is why I partnered with a company called online-therapy.com. They have plans that start around $30 a week and you can get weekly therapy sessions for less than $50 a week. You can also get my 20% off code by going to my website, judgingmegan.com, and you go to the therapy tab. And if you click on the link at the bottom, you can get 20% off your first month. Well, hello everyone. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I have the honor of having Diane Foley on the podcast today. She is the mother of freelance journalist James Foley, who died tragically at the hands of ISIS. And um, it is a true honor to have you on, Mrs. Foley. I keep calling you Mrs. Foley. I don't know why. Diane. I'm going to call you Diane. Um, (laughs) And I'm just honored to have you on. So thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Megan. Um, 
So I just want to start out and um, tell my audience how I got the intro to meeting you. Uh, I have a friend since seventh grade. Her name is Jean McHugh. And um, she is pretty much the funniest person I've ever met in my life. I remember meeting Jean at a um, at like a CYO. We went. We all went to Catholic school. A CYO dance, and she was this teeny tiny little thing, and she was the social coordinator of like everything. And we did cotillion, and we became such great friends, and we've remained friends all of these years later. And so I just want to thank Jean so much for introducing us because she's, she's, she's just funny. She's unbelievable. And I love that she calls everyone muffin. She's just funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I really wanted to kind of get into the interview. And as I kind of told you before we started, all of my interviews are mainly with people that have gone through some sort of trauma and come out the other side. And a lot of my audience are people that might be going through loss right now and trying to figure out where to turn, um, how to deal with grief. And I, I reached out to Jean many, many months ago, um, because I think most of the world knows about your son's story and I, I'm just so inspired by you and your family. I watched the documentary called Jim on HBO. And to my audience, if you have not seen it, I really am hoping that you, you, you go, you rent it or you, if you have HBO, you watch it because I'm pretty convinced that your son was a saint. And they say that only the good die young. And, um, my father died really young and I, and I believe he was a saint as well. And I think sometimes that people are supposed to be upstairs with God. Like there's reasons why we lose people so young and why they're here and why they're, you know, why they die early. So I just wanted to say again, thank you. My pleasure, Megan. Really is. Thank you. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, going back to um, when, you know, he was originally kidnapped or um, held hostage in Libya. He loved what he did. He was a freelance journalist. He made very little money, but it was something that he was very passionate and dedicated to doing. How long was he held in captivity the very first time that he was held the very first time, it was only six weeks. It was um, a brief captivity, horrific at the time, however, mm-hmm. because we didn't know how long it would last. But the first time um, his kidnapping was uh, um, witnessed by a New York Times journalist. So we knew who had captured him and we had an idea of where he was. So um, we had much more information that first time. And um, however, he came, the way he came home was truly miraculous. Um, It was thanks to a friend, David Bradley, um, uh, owner of uh, Atlantic Media, who helped get uh, Teach for America research group together. And they found a young woman um, from Vermont, of all places, um, who had worked for one of Gaddafi's sons. 
And it was through that connection that she was able to persuade one of Gaddafi's sons to release Jim and his colleagues. So it was truly a random kind of miraculous um, uh, connection that made that happen. And then when he, when he came home, I, I know that you said you just felt like he, he didn't feel like he should be there. He wanted to kind of go out again. And you were all so worried about him wanting to leave. Is that, is that accurate? Oh, yes. I mean, he, he was very um, physically well, but he was restless. He really was very restless. And I, I think it's hard to come out of a conflict zone where you're seeing a lot of trauma, death, torture, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the sad things that were happening to civilians um, and then come to our bubble of uh, middle-class America, you know, um, to come home. So he was very restless, restless to return. But before he returned, he uh, did a gratitude trip, if you will, Um, had many dear friends from Marquette University, Teach for America, Medill, and visited many, many of these um, friends um, that summer, and then did work editing um, for Global Post um, in Boston before he went back in the fall. I I remember seeing in the documentary that he was somebody that could just sleep anywhere. He could, he could sleep in the conflict zones. They, and then when he was coming back, he, like you said, was restless. He wasn't sleeping at night. He was in that editor position and wasn't really somebody that felt like they could be sitting at a desk. So you think his calling, he had this calling that he was supposed to go back what was that like? I know you, they touch on it in the documentary for your family. I mean, I know some, like one of your sons was very angry. Um, how did how did you feel? Did you feel betrayed? Were you terrified? Because this time he was going into a new a new and worse situation. So what was that like knowing that you really couldn't stop him? Well, as a parent, um, we all know that our children grow up and they're not ours. They belong Mm -hmm. to the world and and we all get to choose what we choose to do. Um, We were happy that Jim had found journalism, really, because it enabled him to put together his care for the underdog, his, um, with his ability to tell stories, to witness to what was happening. Um, and so he really loved it. And whenever John or I tried to um, dissuade him from returning, he said, Ma, I found my passion. This is something I really need to do. Um, Americans need to know what's happening in the Middle East, need to know how people there yearn for the freedom we just take for granted. So he was very committed to it. And um, we were sobered by his need to return, obviously, um, but there was no dissuading him. There really wasn't. Um, we just had to put him in God's hands as he returned. I loved that he felt like that calling and the way that when I would, when I saw him interviewing in the video clips, like the way he could connect with other human beings, it's a real gift. 
Don't you agree that he oh, was able yeah. to do that? Yes. And that he was, was so he was so handsome, such a handsome <laughs> guy. Um, well, he, he was a good friend. He was a lot of fun. He loved people. He knew how to pick friends. Again, he was very good at bringing the best out of people and finding people who had that goodness deep within. And even though he had a very diverse um, group of friends, but um, he was very friendly, had a lot of colleagues, a lot of friends, loved children, loved life in many ways, Megan. Well, Jean said to me when we were talking about him, she said he was somebody that was so funny and he he's one of the only people I've ever met in life that never said a bad per, a bad thing about somebody else. He always was positive. He was always kind. He always had like a kind word for other people. And um, as the story in the documentary unfolded, you really see that like what a support system he was for other people, even in the darkest times. So well, he was. Uh, a, yeah, he was. Um, like I said, he was a lot of fun. Um, he loved pe to make people laugh. So he would love to dress up in a silly way. Or um, some of the hostages who returned talk about him putting a pair of pants on his head just to be silly. I mean, Jim, you know, really um, thought humor was important and um, did have the gift of seeing the goodness in others. So, but you know, to be honest, Megan, I don't know if I really r realized how much of a gift he was. Uh, he was kind of a gentle guy in another way and, and not real big on himself. Uh, he kind of fit in really easily with a group of people too. Well, not to skip ahead, but when he was, was, um, he was taken hostage for the second time, and then he was put in that, what, I, what do you want to call it, like a prison, That the room that they show in the documentary with the other 15. He was by himself with John, the other American hostage, but then the other hostages. I, I found one of the most amazing things about him um, that really hit me was when he ha gave his pair of pants to the other, to the other hostage. Like they had so little and he gave the little that he had to help somebody else, which just really shows what kind of human he was. I mean, it was just like, I, I mean, I think sometimes when people are gone, we really, we say they were really were a saint, but I really believe that people are saints and there's reasons why they're not here anymore. But that was something that really touched me about him, that that while he was in that prison, um, all of the other prisoners that were interviewed talk about, you know, how he they all played that game with the with the I don't know what it was, the risk. pieces of dates. Okay. Risk. Yeah. yeah. Is that what it okay? And yes, like that they found like fun and they found compassion and love for each other. And they always turned to him in the darkest times, you know, um, the one, one of the interviews with one of the prisoners talks about how, um, how he, he always knew that he was in his corner and 
had the best intentions. And I, and I, that's something that really struck me considering what this, what they, what kind of position they were in at that time, being held hostage, being tortured, all of the horrible things they were going through. Yes. I, I really, um, in hearing some of those stories from the other hostages, first of all, I was very grateful that he was with other good men, men mm-hmm. who were fellow journalists and aid workers, also men of deep goodness, really. Um, so that was a blessing for Jim to be with such great people. And it also made me realize that Um, our prayers were being answered, his own prayers, um, because I think God was with them um, and close to Jim and comforting Jim. It makes me feel that God was very present to him. And because we need to feel love to be able to share and be kind. and, and And that was reassuring to me that Jim did not feel alone. He knew we were all praying for him. He was surrounded by a lot of good people too. And their companionship also provided tremendous strength to him. I'm sure. So so once he he passed in the way that he passed so tragically, which by the way, for my listeners, I'm not gonna talk about that. If you would like to look it up, you can look up the James Foley. Um I really want to hear about what the process was like for you and your family, which by the way, I loved watching how close your family is, how important it is when you go through the grieving process to lean on family and how fortunate you are to have such a tight family because so many people go through things and they don't have that. So the foundation of your family, I just wanted to ask you, I know I'm sorry to like ask you the tough questions, but how, what it was like once the news media kind of like went away, which I'm sure they were there for a long time. And that was hard on top of everything else. What, what was the grieving process like for you? And I'm asking you this because I think the most important things that we can do as human beings in life is supporting other people people, especially within the grieving process. So whether it be spirituality, I know that you're very religious, you believe in God. What was, what was the grieving process like for you? And how did, how are you in that process? I think as a parent, you're probably always going to be grieving your child. Well, it's, you know, anyone who has experienced any loss, be it loss of health or a loved one, or there are so many losses in life, loss of a marriage, a child, uh, that void is always there. But I also feel that God is there and God was definitely there for me, for us, and sent us many angels. So yes, our family was very comforted by many of Jim's huge circle of friends, for one thing, Um, and um, just strangers who appeared and really became huge comforts to us, huge pillars of strength, if you will, people to lean on who listened and cared and helped us grieve with Jim, grieved with us, and then helped us establish the James Foley Legacy Foundation. So, God sent us many angels. We were not alone. And I think it's important to look around when you're grieving and ask for help because there are good people around who want to help 
sometimes we need to ask and we need to um, ask God and the people in our midst for the help we need. Um, I certainly needed help and I needed um, the hearts and shoulders of so many people um, to help us through this. And I know our family did too. Did, do you believe, I always ask this every interview, do you believe in signs? And, and if so, do you, do you, what are some of the signs that you know that he's with you? Well, I think the biggest signs for me um, are really manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So to mm-hmm. me, the Holy Spirit it comes about, for me, primarily through good people showing up in my life. You know, coming across good people like Jeannie McHugh, like yourself, people who care and want to hear um, the stories and want to know what happened, but also want to know about um, how good um, God is, if we but ask. Uh, God has provided for me. He's provided friendship, faith, hope, and strength, really, through um, our church, through family and friends people and strangers. Many strangers have shown up and offered help out of the blue, truly, Megan. It's extraordinary. And that's where I feel God's presence, Jim's presence, without a doubt. And also, he was... He was- obviously spiritual and religious. They, they talk about in the documentary, how he went and prayed, you know, and he was actually praying to God. And I believe it, he talks about, or you talk about in the documentary, how he really leaned on God in his darkest times. He did. Jim was not always religious. I mean, he grew up in the Catholic Roman Catholic church. He was an altar Mm -hmm. boy, but he was very normal. Um, he did his duty and then was off doing his thing. So he, I, I don't, wouldn't, um, he really, I didn't find him particularly religious as a child, but as he mm-hmm. grew up, he grew more interested in spirituality. I think his um, undergraduate alma mater, um, Marquette, definitely, their, um, their motto is make a difference, be the difference. And I think um, Jim came to understand that um, they, Marquette University bordered on a very poor part of Milwaukee, and they encouraged students to go into the inner city and volunteer to tutor and such, which Jim did. And I think his eyes were open in many ways to a world he had not grown up in, and um, it really helped him grow and recognize that, you know, we need to help one another and that others do not, um, not everyone grows up in the same way as he had. Um, So he grew at Marquette and he came to understand that we all need to care about one another. Um, So I really... Do you think that that's really why he felt like he needed to do, like, do you think he got the bug of like wanting to be a journalist and helping others and getting their stories out at Marquette? Well, I think Marquette definitely inspired him to do for others. Uh, Right after he graduated, he went into Teach for America and was involved Uh teaching in the inner city in Phoenix, um, Arizona for five years. So he 
really um, saw the struggles of kids who come to school without breakfast, without a parent who is available for them. Um, He really saw a different side of America and that touched him very much. Um, he And I think it definitely solidified any um, aspiration to do for others, to make a difference. We all go through periods in our life where we, you know, walk away from our faith, come back, maybe change our mind about spirituality. But I think I'm going to shift a little bit and talk to you about the hostage crisis that's still going on. And I was hoping that you could touch on that because I know how knowledgeable you are just dealing with what you dealt with when you were trying to get him out. Um, So can you touch on that a little bit and what, like where, where we are with the hostage situation right now? And like, because I don't think people know, I know I don't know. So I I didn't either. I did yeah. not either. I had no clue um, that um, hostage taking was such a prevalent um, uh, criminal act. I mean, I didn't realize um, that it's, you know, pirates, uh, terrorists, criminal gangs, but also rogue governments um, find it very um, expedient to um drum up some bogus charges against um, U.S. nationals who are traveling for business, journalism, aid workers, educators, and um, arrest them. I had no idea. And when we first went through this, um, our government really had no one who was in charge of bringing Jim home, if you will. I shuffle, I was shuffled between FBI and State Department, you know, went to the White House one or two times, never met the president, but felt at least heard, but nothing happened. Um, Jim was really not a priority um, in 2012 to 2014. And it was very sobering, very upsetting when he, when the, he, world was shocked by the brutality of the ISIS fighters in the way they executed our son Jim and the other three Americans. It was shocking, shocking to our country, to us, horrifying. Um, And so within three weeks of Jim's death, we established the James Foley Foundation to advocate for other U.S. nationals who were held hostage abroad. I had no idea how many there were. Now we realize it. Um, the number ranges around 200 um, U.S. America, U.S. nationals are taken hostage or unjustly detained around the world um, annually. So currently, we know of about 50 plus public cases. Many of the cases um, they're on our website, um, FoleyFoundation.org. Um, they're in all parts of the world. We have Americans held in Russia, Venezuela, Niger, um, Iran, Mali. Uh, it, it just is um, frightening when you um, hear some of these stories. And many of um, the people who are held hostage have been held for many years. Um, uh, Austin Tice of Texas, a very promising journalist, um, wonderful young man, ex-Marine, um, 
was taken in August of 2012 and is still being held in Syria. Uh, psychologist Maj Kamalmas also held there. Um, we just have so many instances. Pastor Jeffrey Woodkey held in Africa. Um, he had ministered to the people in Niger for most of his life. And then um, some terrorist group kidnapped him for ransom. So I just have, we just have so many, many cases that I was totally unaware of. Do you, does the foundation help with, like, what exactly does the foundation do um, to help these, these hostages? Well, we uh, work with Congress, with our government, okay. with um, the hostage fusion cell, special um, envoy for hostage affairs, and the White House um, to prioritize the return of Americans. Um, it is difficult. When people get a hold of one of our citizens, they know they have uh, a political pond, if you will. So it can be very difficult to find ways to negotiate. Um, in the past, um, our government was not sure they wanted to negotiate with terrorists to bring our people home. But you see what happened. They were killed, whereas the other Western hostages, in fact, did come home because their governments engaged with their um, captors. Our government would not engage, nor would the British. And that's why they all died. They were all killed. So so do you think, too, I mean, that the, the amount of money and like you t taking like second mortgages or whatever you were doing on your home, um, asking for a hundred million dollars. At that point you were working with the FBI, you weren't getting anywhere, but the other countries were willing to engage. So they were, is that why they were able to get them out? Oh, definitely. There's no way you're going to find out what captors want if you don't engage with them, you know? Um, and the problem was our government's hands were tied. FBI and um, State Department were not allowed to engage with Jim's captors. So um, for the month we were in touch with them, um, it we as a family had to try to do it. And we had no idea what we were doing. We certainly didn't have the means to raise that kind of a ransom or release prisoners. That's often what they asked for. So... Um, there's a need to begin at least to connect with whoever takes our citizens, if only to get um, information about people who have nefarious um, goals um, in mind, if they can get a hold of an American citizen. So I feel um, it's essential that our government prioritize the return of U.S. nationals. But it isn't always a priority, Megan. Has, has it improved since Jim's well, passing? I like to think that it's evolving. Um, okay. there, um, there is, uh, last December of 2020, the um, Robert Levinson Hostage Taking and Accountability Act was passed, named for uh, Robert A. Levinson, a former FBI agent who was... Um, kidnapped, held captive, and died in captivity. His amazing family um, pushed in Congress to make into law 
um, this fusion cell that we now have, a multidisciplinary fusion cell, this envoy at the State Department, and the hostage recovery group at the White House. So we have a structure and the responsibility for these entities to bring Americans home. However, if they are not empowered by the current president, that is not always a priority. And that's part of the problem, Megan. So we still have plenty of work to do. Um, it's, it's hard. We have a lot of challenges as a country, um, domestically and internationally. And sometimes the return of individual citizens is not a priority. So that's why we keep fighting. That's our goal. Yeah. Yeah. um, As far as ISIS and where ISIS is now, and I believe you just had one of the um, captors was tried. Is that correct? One of um, two of the British jihadists who kidnapped Jim and tortured him and finally executed him, two of them were extradited to the United States last year. And one of them, Alexander Cody, pleaded guilty to all eight counts. Um, And so he has pleaded guilty in a hearing. His colleague, um, El Sheikh, is still due to go on trial in January of 2022. And and were you there during the... Okay. And yes. what was, what was that like? It I mean, was, I know it must've been horrible. Well, it was rather chilling because Alexander mm-hmm. was very nonchalant and, um, you know, not, non-emotional, unemotional about what he had done. He was very matter of fact about, yes, he had done it. And he wanted to make clear that he was confessing to doing it because he didn't want to publicly have to um, implicate his colleague, um, El Sheikh, during the trial in January. And he also hopes to return to um, the United Kingdom in 15 years if he cooperates. Um, So those were some of the terms of why he agreed to confess to kidnapping and torturing the Americans. Was your entire family there? Jim's, uh, two of Jim's brothers were, and my husband okay. and I were there, as well as the Mueller's, Cassocks, and Sotloff families. So the okay. other families were there, yes. So what kind of feelings did that bring up? Was it sadness? Was it anger? What, I mean, that must have been really hard to have somebody be so nonchalant when they, you know, when you had dealt, you've been dealing with so much pain since the 2014 Well, yes. I mean, a lot of gratitude to our government. The prosecuting attorneys have been so amazing, so kind, so diligent about building a a case against these gentlemen, these men, so that they would, in fact, be held accountable. So we felt a lot of gratitude to them. Um, It was chilling to hear him, Mm -hmm. you know, and... Um, pitiful, really, that a yeah. human being would not really show any emotion um, in confessing that, yes, he, in fact, did those heinous crimes. So it was um, 
that part was kind of anticlimactic. It was kind of like, yeah. How could a human being um, act like that? But it doesn't make any sense to me, to be honest. Um, as far as the foundation, if if people would want to get involved and, you know, as Americans do something, because it's like one of those things where I watched and, you know, at one point during the documentary, you talked about raising a million dollars and you thought, you know, things were, he was going to get out and, but then it didn't turn out that way. People don't understand like how to deal with, with these kinds of situations. They don't really want to think about it because it's so scary and overwhelming. How, how can just a American citizen, just a regular person get involved and help? Well, um, we have several ways. Um, we have a large group. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing my Freedom Run t-shirt from a few years ago. In a couple of weeks on October 23rd, we will have our seventh annual Foley Run. Um, it's called the James Foley Freedom Run. We'll do it in person in New Hampshire, but we'll do it virtually all over the world and the United States. So anyone who would like to receive a fully run T-shirt, make a difference for others, Americans who are held captive, and for journalist safety, which we also promote through our curricula, I would invite anyone. They can go to fullyrun.org and um, and make a donation. They can. Um, do a virtual walk or run in na- in the name of Americans who are held captive, and it would make a difference. It always makes a difference to care about others. So that is certainly an important way they could help. So I'm asking my listeners um, to please go on foleyrun.org and uh, in, in light of buying me a buttery Chardonnay, this is a joke, Diane, on my <laughs> website, I have buy me a buttery Chardonnay. I would like you to please donate to the foleyrun.org. Uh, I think that this cause is so important. I, I believe, um, I had an interview last week where I spoke to somebody that was in the set, like had been sex trafficked and I had no idea. I had no idea that the things that happen in this country happen. I feel so naive you know, and I think it's the same thing with the hostage situation. We just kind of like live in our little bubble. We go to the mall, we shop, we go to restaurants. Our country is, there's so much turmoil, so much like horrible things going on right now, but it's like, we just have blinders on and it's too overwhelming to think about it. So if you take like small little steps, like I'm going to donate to this organization. I'm going to make a difference. Like we all as human beings and people, instead of us all fighting with each other over wearing a mask and ridiculous things that people are fighting over right now, like do something, make a difference, do something to help somebody else. There's, there's hostages, there's parents and siblings watching the documentary, just seeing the pain of your sons and your daughter and what, and in the, and your daughter-in-law, like he was taken away and, you know, he's not in this world anymore when our government could have done just different things. And we all could have done different things to help, but we all choose to kind of say, Oh, that's so sad. And leave our blinders on instead of just 
doing one small thing. So I need I need to get off my pulpit right now because I tend to do that quite a bit, but I really just wanted to say that. Um, I wanted to ask, and I'm not going to take up too much more of your time, where how you all are doing today? How it, how are his brothers doing? Um, this is your his sister in law, his sister. How are you and your husband doing? I just wanted to check in on that. Well, we, thank you for asking, Megan. But we are we're blessed. We have a rich, um, wonderful family. Jim has four other siblings. We have um, six grandchildren. The seventh is on the way. We all gather in October to remember Jim. That was his birth month. And we all have fun walking and running together in remembrance of Jim and other Americans, other heroes who have laid down their life so that we're free. As a matter of fact, one of Jim's last things when he returned from Libya was he spoke at Marquette and said that he aspired to be a man of moral courage. So we try to instill that in all the students and the young people we work with to Try to do, as you said, Megan, that little small thing for someone else and to dare to do the right thing when it's not easy to do because your goodness and courage is needed in the world today, without a doubt. So needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am so happy to hear that you all are are plugging along. I really, when I watch the documentary, I keep saying when I watch the documentary, yeah, we know I watched the documentary, but I wanted to say I wanted to spend Christmas in your house <laughs> because it, it, I didn't have that growing up. And, um, you, you know, I, it just looked like such a it looks like your family still is so close and there's lots of laughter. And you said that Jim was funny. And, you know, to be like, I believe that laughter is one of my greatest powers, my greatest gift that I love to make people laugh and I love to laugh. And I just, I'm, I'm amazed by people that can pick themselves up and continue to like work through life, even the hardest challenges like you've gone through and continue to laugh and continue to lean on family and not let their family break apart. Like a lot of people that can happen to you. So I just find you and your family extremely inspiring Um, I was so nervous for this interview today. Um, I'm never nervous to talk to anyone. Like I talk to people on, on like buses. I mean, I don't, I'm never on a bus. What am I talking about? I talk to everyone though. And I just find you just an amazing light. And I wanted to thank you so much for taking your time to talk to, to me and share what you're doing and how people can get involved again. One last time, can you give the information again for um, for your website? Our website is the jamesfoleyfoundation.org and the run page is foleyrun.org. Okay. And then there's a social media, there's an Instagram as well that I'm going to post on my show notes that I just started following for um, the Foley Foundation. So I followed that as well. So if Lovely. I'm sure people, yeah, people can follow that and get involved and ask questions that way. Oh, wonderful. Um, in closing, thank you so much, Diane. It's such an honor and a privilege to meet you. And I'm hoping one day that I can meet you in person with That'd my be wonderful, wonderful <laughs> friend, Jean. 
<laughs> um, God bless you, Megan. It, thank you for caring. Thank you. In closing, keep living, keep praying, and keep growing. Thank you, Megan. God bless you. Buddy, have you heard of Instacart? If you have not heard of Instacart, I don't know where you have been living because it saved my life. I don't have to go to the grocery store. I can get my stuff delivered to my house. And if you go to judgingmegan.com forward slash Instacart, you will get $35 off of your first order if you've never ordered before. So I would say get on there right now and skip your trip to the grocery store. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.